Solving Sacramento. In a Sacramento neighborhood called Marisol Village, a new light rail stop was planned as part of a newly opened mixed-income housing center. It almost didn't happen. Politics, money, and COVID costs combined, and the project was deemed too expensive in a city council vote this past November. But after community feedback and a review of the terms around the grant related to the project, the city voted again, this time deciding to move ahead with the construction after all. Also going on, the city's regional transit department continues work on modifying the current light rail stops to adapt to a new fleet of trains coming soon. Construction for that started up in earnest in 2023. Significant moves in a busy year for buses and light rail operation in a city continuing to work toward the Transit-Oriented Development Ordinance it adopted back in 2018. The topic of transportation is deeply tied to housing affordability and availability, and this week's guests also have deep ties to how we get from place to place. From Solving Sacramento, I'm Nick Bruner, and this is Housing in the Capital. So, who are these bus boosters, these leviathans of light rail, these transit titans? I'm Kathy Cresswell. I'm uh, the president of the board of the Sacramento Housing Alliance and also the chair of the board of Mutual Housing California and a community activist. I'm Jordan Grimaldi. I am the Safe Routes to Schools director at Civic Thread, formerly Walk Sacramento, and also a board member of the Safe Kids Greater Sacramento Coalition and a co-chair of their Bicycle and Pedestrian Committee. Kathy starts the conversation off this week with a few facts and figures around the challenges of living low income. For affordable housing, the issues that are really driving just the state of crisis that we're in, and and by that, in Sacramento, for example, we um, 81% of extremely low-income households are currently paying more than 50% of their income on affordable housing. That means other vital things like medicine and school supplies and other kinds of things cannot be addressed. In Sacramento County, for example, you have to earn $32 an hour in order to be able to afford the average two-bedroom rent. Our economic system isn't set up that the market is going to provide housing for people who can't afford to pay more than you know $500 a month for rent. It just isn't going to happen. So we need government support for financing. The state has really invested in the last few years, and that's been a big help. But we haven't seen as much local investment as we would like to see and would need. There's also real resistance to affordable housing, and both from people who fear what it means to their community or who's going to live there, but even to a large degree, local governments haven't always viewed it as something that benefited their community. So they set up rules and regulations that made it hard to build affordable housing. So that's a big impact. And there's just been insufficient policy frameworks at the state and local level to really advance things that we know work. And then finally, there's just, there's this historic legacy of racial discrimination and disparities that exist from the past, but live on in their impacts today. And so until we can address those things, we're going to continue to see communities suffer at 
certain communities suffer more than others. A lot of the affordable housing that we really see becomes further and further away from these city centers and urban areas where there are higher concentrations of jobs and services and programs and education. As we see the distance increasing between affordable housing and people's daily activities and essential services, the transportation piece is so critical because how are people going to be able to access those opportunities? When we talk about impacts, I know, Kathy, you were talking about the financial burden that housing insecurity places on families. And correspondingly, it's very similar in terms of transportation burden from a financial perspective. If you have to commute further and further from your your house, that's more affordable to your job and gas prices are crazy you know, that's going to be difficult and challenging from a a financial perspective. You know, a lot of our roadways are not safe for walking and biking. and, And this is especially true for our most vulnerable road users, which includes children and teens. And of course, this is especially true in our environmental justice communities where we see a higher majority of communities of color, greater pollution burdens. And these are where pedestrian and cyclist collisions and fatalities are disproportionately happening. I do feel like the housing community, the affordable housing folks, and those agencies that are funding it have sort of really recognized those kind of locational issues. If you're getting money to build new affordable housing from the state, they're always in a competitive kind of programs. You're more competitive if you are building your affordable housing in areas with better mobility, better schools, although you have to be mindful of not perpetuating any of the further disinvestments. So we still need to invest in in communities that have been disinvested to give them the affordable housing because it also spurs other economic benefits for those communities. I also think the affordable housing nonprofit developers who are building that affordable housing have long also recognized the importance. For example, there were a lot of nonprofits in the Bay Area that, because they have good transit systems, that um, provided transit passes to their residents. They're also building mutual housing California that just built housing over in Davis and has done some here, including bike lockers and creating linkages to existing pathways for both mobility and recreation in their affordable housing. So I feel like, especially the nonprofit affordable housing community frequently will talk to residents prior to finalizing all the design features of new affordable housing to make sure they are designing it in a way that really corresponds to the specific experiences and needs of those communities. I I do want to (laughs) say that's not easy um, to do. The pattern of nonprofit affordable development that we saw was not so much a reflection of 
that's what people thought were best, but rather that's those opportunities that were available. And the community has worked really hard to either get the resources that we need to change the zoning. Um, you know, part of the work that I did when I was with the state was working on housing element law and making sure that cities up and down the state actually zoned land for multifamily housing, which many of them didn't. And that's the kind of opportunities that that you need as a starter home. It is both a, you are now getting more resources to be able to do it. But I just wanted to be clear. Um, it's it's sort of the structure of, of how land use works and how our general plans were developed. And I think we're getting local governments to better recognize the need to to integrate those things. So now a lot of local governments do incentivize building particularly affordable housing along corridors that have transit access and, and things like that. Transportation funding since at least the 80s has really followed what some people have known as the 80-20 split, where um, from federal funding, federal dollars, roughly um, 80% of funding goes towards highways, and um, the remaining 20% goes towards public transit. And so our our public transit systems have just been critically um, disinvested for decades now. And, um, unfortunately that's pretty, pretty similar to the funding split that we still see today. I know, um, the Biden administration tried to make some strides on that with their most, uh, recent infrastructure bill. Um, uh, so it, it really does trickle down and has a lot of implications for, our transportation and housing uh, systems at the state, regional, and local level, um, and we uh, this was this was something I was going to to touch on in terms of effective and promising solutions are the shifts that we have seen in terms of equity me metrics, just like you mentioned, Kathy. With um, is it opportunity zones opportunities. Well, it's not opportunities, it's opportunity areas. Opportunity um, areas, but, yes. But they're they're using much of the same um, mapping that was done by the Center for Regional Change and, um, you know, some of the uh, Cal EPA had these maps and stuff related to equity and um, environmental justice. With the, with Caltrans, California Department of Transportation's active transportation program, for example, they award a higher number of points to projects that are located within these SB 535 disadvantaged communities. Um, so we're seeing that more and more on the funding level. While, you know, it's great that agencies at various levels are, are taking steps to really operationalize equity in these ways, it's it's an iterative process and not necessarily a perfect solution in terms of addressing equitable investment. Um, the Meadowview area in South Sacramento here, for example, for whatever reason, 
the formulas that are used and metrics that are used in these common um, matrices overlook meadow view, the meadow view area, even though we know um, anecdotally and and just from hearing from residents in this area and their lived experiences, it is a very high need area. And so um, sometimes we can rely a little bit too heavily just on these tools and data. And so that's that's really a big part of our approach at Civic Thread is to ensure that lived experiences are um, weighted equally in these types of decisions because um, data is an important part of the picture, but it's not the entirety. Coming up, when considering transportation projects throughout the city, where are the needs of residents and all that? And what equitable transportation looks like here in Sacramento? That's as housing in the capital continues. Support for Housing in the Capital comes from Russian American Media, serving the Sacramento region's Slavic community with news and events, and a member of the Solving Sacramento Journalism Collaborative. Read more at rammers.live. It's Housing in the Capital. My name is Nick Bruner. Thanks for listening this week. The topic, transit and housing. We're listening to Kathy Creswell and Jordan Grimaldi discussing the intersections of how you get from where you call home to just about anywhere else. This half of the episode, we start with how the city prioritizes its many, many transit projects. Here's Jordan. In November 2022, the city of Sacramento adopted their transportation priorities plan. And this was an effort. Um, Civic Thread was a part of this as on their community advisory committee as well. The TPP for short is an effort to catalog their their backlog of over 700 transportation projects from the past however many years that have no secured funding or or haven't been completed and apply a scoring criteria or prioritization framework to that list of 700 plus projects so that the city knows which projects that they need to start with, which projects um, community members want to see uh, most happen in the short term. Um, Because that's another thing about planning processes. They they can take a very long time. (laughs) And and this, you know, I'll give the city props. They they really put in an effort to have this be a community-driven process. And there's more information about the engagement that they led in partnership with local community advisors. You know, we've seen in the housing world a lot of that as well in terms of when cities are developing they're planning to, you know, for the housing, you know, the state law actually requires them to specifically engage with low and moderate income communities when they develop their practices and they can be deemed not in compliance if they haven't taken adequate steps. But it's, it's been a long time before we actually really started to see some meaningful engagement of community where it wasn't just, we're going to have a workshop, you all come out, we'll tell you what we're going to do, and you tell us what we think about it. And so we've also worked really hard to 
work with local officials to get that really authentic engagement of community, not come with, you know, here's what we want to do. What do you think? But to really first ask, what is it you need? What are you, what are you seeing? It's not just, we go to a meeting, tell you what we think, and then we never hear back from you. It's having local officials come back and say, this is what we think we heard. This is how we're doing it. Does that reflect what you were actually hoping for? And for example, the work that the Sacramento Housing Alliance and Civic Thread have done with the Sacramento Investment Without Displacement Coalition has really been about empowering residents to have control over when investments are happening in their community to ensure they actually benefit and not just suffer from you know the negative impacts of that. And it's to me another example of where housing, transportation, equity, um, uh, health, neighborhood associations all saw this real that when planning is done well and when investments are done well, everyone benefits. But that hasn't been that hasn't been how things happened in part because communities weren't engaged and the people with the most resources and the most at stake were the ones who sort of drove it. You know, we've been really, you know, we're still working with the city to actually get a community benefits ordinance that will benefit areas besides Aggie Square, but you know, we're hopeful that it's sort of that foundational change of how local governments think about how they engage with their community. And that's critical for really establishing strong communities, both from an affordable housing perspective, but from all the other things that make communities safe and healthy in places where people can thrive. I really want to highlight the benefits of investing in active transportation equitably and um, safe routes to schools for the broader community when we invest in roadways that are safer for people of all ages and abilities to walk and bike and roll in all communities, it it really contributes to a Sacramento that's more livable, walkable, um, bikeable. And um, as long as we continue to allow our transportation systems to disconnect rather than connect us, Sacramento will continue to be, unfortunately, you know, as as segregated as it really is. We know that it will take a combination of practices. This is a very complex issue and there's no silver bullets. There's no one size fits all approach. And um, again, just I can't underscore enough the importance of community driven processes and solutions for that very reason. I would just say too that what we should feel hopeful about and the folks who sometimes we are pushing back against should be worried about is that that there are these coalitions that are being built that are demanding better for our communities and for residents. And again, I think the Sacramento Investment Without Displacement Coalition is a good example of communities coming together and dif different issues coming together and 
accomplish things. You know, we got, um, we pushed the city to get $50 million for affordable housing. We got some transportation improvements. We got some health improvements. Um, We got the city to agree to try to establish a community benefits agreement for the whole ordinance. So I'm hopeful that the coalitions that we're building are really going to be the real driving force behind addressing all of these issues in a way that will benefit the people in our communities and the people who've too often been excluded. So I feel hopeful. So what about you? Do you rely on public transit? What's your favorite light rail line? What bus line do you take? After 16 years of taking RT, I still don't know exactly how hot or how rainy it has to be before a disruption happens, but I'm curious. I want to find that out. If this conversation piqued your interest, be sure to stay subscribed and weigh in with your housing questions and comments. Shoot us an email, info at solvingsacramento.org. Check out that website, too. It's where you'll find articles around housing, transit, and all sorts of other topics in the city by us and our journalism partners like Outward, the Sacramento News and Review, Russian American Media, Sacramento Business Journal, Cap Radio, Univision 19, and the Sacramento Observer. Solving Sacramento's project manager is Sina Christian, project editor Kat Graziosi. My name is Nick Bruner. I record, produce, and host these episodes, and our theme music is by the one and only Lillian Francis. Check out LillianFrancisMusic.com. Find Lillian Francis on all the socials. That's it for a little while. We're taking a little break to develop the next series of podcasts from Solving Sacramento. I hope you got at least something out of this series and stay subscribed for more. Until then, thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by funding from the Solutions Journalism Network.